Morning, everybody. Really good to uh, see you. I particularly enjoyed the, uh, the notice at the end of yesterday that the, uh, the wide game had been abandoned in favour of a Q&A se session with me. Um, thank you. I um, actually sort of texted my friend, you never guess what's just been announced. He said, well, can't they do both? Can't they do a wide game? And then the penalty for getting caught in the wide game is you have to listen to Andy answering a question about sexuality, which... Um, just made me realise I need better friends, really. So um, it's really good to, uh, to be with you. Um, I have a confession. I was, I was born in Manchester. Um, it wasn't my fault. I mean, I didn't decide where I wanted to be born. And then, actually, my family decided after two months to move to Liverpool. Um, they, uh, my parents actually got married in Toxteth Tabernacle, actually. But, um, uh, my, um, but yeah, they, um, so basically from the age two months to the age seven, I, uh, I grew up in uh, Egbeth, actually. Um, but, so that means actually various names. It's been great to hear about Formby and Walton and Liverpool and Everton. Sorry, we never actually crossed the river, actually, when I was a kid. So, um, so there's that area over there, which... I don't really know much about, but, but actually it's just been lovely to hear sort of familiar names from my childhood uh, now that I'm, uh, that I'm back here with you guys this weekend. And, and it raises the question, what do we want for those areas? Yeah, it's been great just to hear about Everton a few minutes ago. What, what do we want? I guess this, we want people to see God. Yeah, we want people to see the God who made them. We want people to see the God who can give them forgiveness, can give them a future, can give them hope. We want people to see God. But here's the question. How is that going to happen? Because you might have noticed God isn't exactly visible. You know, he's not going to suddenly appear to people in Everton saying, here I am. Twice in the Apostle John's writings, he uses this phrase. No one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God, but. And in John's gospel, it goes on like this. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son. He's made him visible. How can you see God? Well, Jesus walked on the earth, making God plain, revealing God to human beings. But then in John's letter, 1 John 4, you get something slightly different. You get the same phrase, no one has ever seen God. But 1 John 4, 12 continues like this. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. How will God become visible? John says God becomes visible when a community of his people love one another. That as people look on, they're seeing something of God at work, seeing something of God being revealed. Think about it, it's very similar to what Jesus himself said. How will people know that you're my disciples? How will people know that there's something special about me? By this will people know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Or to fit in with the theme that we're using this weekend, and for those who weren't here last night, basically we're looking at various passages in the New Testament where we're called to be Christ-like, to be like Jesus. And towards the end of John's Gospel, Jesus will say this, love one another as I have loved you. 
And so this morning we're considering this theme. What does courageous love look like? What does love that makes God visible look like? What does it mean to love like Jesus? Now, it wouldn't surprise me if around the room the reaction was going something like this. That sounds great, but I can't. Yeah, when you think of the sheer extent of Jesus' love, how on earth can we love like him? Or, or, or maybe, I think somebody actually mentioned this to me last night. Yeah, carrying a cross like Jesus, I just don't feel up to that. It just feels like too great a sacrifice. And so I hope this morning is going to encourage us. So what we're going to see is that living in Jesus is both possible and essential. Living like Jesus is possible and essential. And essentially we're going to do two verses in 1 John. So first half of time, I'm going to speak on 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, which I should have put on the slide and I didn't. But anyway, 1 John 2, verse 6 goes something like this. Whoever live, claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And so there's the instruction that John is giving. To be a Christian is to live like Jesus. We must live as Jesus did. But how is that possible? Notice the little phrase he uses, whoever claims to live in him. Whoever claims to live as somebody who is joined to Jesus. Now, this is a theme that is massive, both in John's gospel and in John's letter. So if you want to flick to, uh, to 1 John, if you can manage to find that in front of you towards the end of the New Testament, what you get is persistently this language of being in Jesus or joined to Jesus. This is how we know we are in him. Chapter 2, verse 5, whoever claims to live in him. Chapter 2, verse 6, or, or it keeps going. Chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, you get exactly the same idea. You will remain in the Son. We are joined to Jesus. We're in the Son. In fact, we're in the Father as well. Or chapter 2, verse 27, we're told to remain in him. Verse 29 of chapter 2, we've been born of him. Chapter 3, verse 24, we live in him and God lives in us. Chapter 4, verse 12, God lives in us. Chapter 4, verse 13, we live in him and he in us. In other words, what John is saying is the way to think about the Christian life isn't, Jesus is miles up there somewhere, and I'm down here trying really, really hard to be as much like him as possible. Let's be honest, sometimes that's how we think about the Christian life, isn't it? Jesus sort of floated off to heaven, and we're down here trying really hard. Whereas John is saying, no, the Christian life is we are joined to Jesus. He lives in us. He lives in us by his spirit. And he actually also puts it the other way around. We're in Jesus. We are locked together, joined together. And you might think, where does John get that idea from? And of course, he gets the idea from Jesus. John would have been there on the night before Jesus dies. And there's a long block of teaching. And one of the main aspects of that teaching is Jesus saying, actually, it's going to be really good for you that I'm going away. And I think that's a bit baffling. Actually, it's much better when you hear Jesus. Why is it good that you're going away? 
And Jesus says, it's good that I'm going away because you are going to have the closest relationship that you've ever had with me. Because when I'm walking around on the earth, basically, you know, I'm outside you. You know, sometimes I go off to pray on my own and, you know, I'm over there, you're over here. Whereas now, that will never be the case again. Because I will constantly be in you. He uses various images to describe that. One is the vine and the branches. Now, basically, I've lived in cities all my life, so I know nothing about agriculture. But I gather it's the case that a vine and a branch is intended to be quite close to each other. Not a lot of life if they're apart. And Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. We are locked together. And from the vine to the branches comes all kinds of life and nutrients and so on. And you're joined to me. And all my life is going to flow towards you. Oh, here's how he put it. On that day, you will realize that I'm in my father and you're in me and I'm in you. Here's a deep theological question for you. How close do you think God the Father and God the Son are? You know, kind of vaguely close, vaguely in sort of close proximity to each other. Or God the Father and God the Son linked together for eternity, impossible to separate, with a great, huge, eternal love that flows between them. And Jesus says, on that day you realize that I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. And the parallel to the relationship we have with Jesus is the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. That just as the Father and the Son are locked together, so I'm in you and you're in me. That's astonishing, isn't it? Just that sort of language, the closeness we have with Jesus. Or Jesus prays, actually prays for us, if you like, on the night before he dies. He's praying for those who will come to believe in him through the message that the first disciples pass on, the message we have in the Bible. And he prays to the Father that the love you have for me, that's God the Father's love for God the Son, may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And again, it's just an astonishing reality. How much does God the Father love God the Son with a vast eternal love? And Jesus says, I want that love to be in, well, us. Why? Because Jesus lives in us. I'm going to say in many ways, one of the challenges is simply to believe that. You do know if you're a Christian, it's about believing stuff, isn't it? Believing stuff we don't see. We never saw Jesus die on the cross, and yet we believe he died for our sins. We haven't seen Jesus risen from the dead, and yet we believe he is. Actually, we can't see the fact that Jesus made his home within us, but we believe it. We believe he's that close to us. We'll get an image that Jesus uses, the Father and the Son making their home within us by the Holy Spirit. If you can imagine, it's almost God the Father, God the Son, turning up with the luggage and saying, can we move into your heart? And that's the reality for the Christian. That's who we are now. I love the words of a, an old hymn. You can sing it to Amazing Grace, actually. So near, so very near to God. I could not nearer be. For in the person of his son, I am as near as he. So dear, so very dear to God. More dear I could not be. The love with which he loves the son, such is his love for me. 
And we're simply called to believe that's true and to receive it. And to recognize that's the great reality. That is our experience. We are totally secure. Totally secure in God's love. Totally secure in the fact that by the Holy Spirit, Jesus moved into our hearts. And I say the call is to believe that. Over the years, it's been a, a privilege to, uh, to sort of meet up with and pray with some folk a bit younger than me, some often students. And, um, you know, often, particularly with, with students who are really enthusiastic, you know, we'd be sort of meeting together. And at the end of time, you know, anything I can pray for you? And they'd sometimes say something like this, you know, pray that I get closer to Jesus. And, and I know what they meant by that, because let's be honest, our experience of Jesus does go up and down. But I also, at that point, just became even more irritating than usual. And I kind of ended up saying something like this, well, I tell you what, shall I pray that you would realize that you're as close to Jesus as you could possibly be? Because he lives in you. And you live in him. The Christian life is living out the fact that we are accepted and lived in by God. The Christian life isn't, let's do a bit better so we will be accepted by God. The Christian life isn't, let's do a bit better so God will live within us. The Christian life is, the Father and the Son have set their home up in our hearts. And he lives in us and we live in him and we are joined together. And we live that out. Hudson Taylor. So I think, I think he doesn't appear in every talk, but Hudson Taylor, pioneer missionary to China, who's the guy who said last night, says, is anything of value in Christ's service that costs little? Ended up going as a pioneer missionary to China. Around his sort of middle age, went through a, a number of years that were just really tough. His wife died, I think two of his children died. Spiritually exhausted, really battling with sin and felt powerless. And ended up writing back to those who were praying for him back in this country. He said, there was one thing that ended up changing that. He said, the spirit opened my eyes to our oneness with Jesus. Think of it. Can Christ be rich and I poor? And he say, you know, I just feel so weak and so pathetic and it's all impossible. And, oh, hang on. Jesus lives in me. And I'm joined to Jesus. And if I'm joined to, he, if I'm the branch and he's the vine and I'm joined to him and in Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, can I just be poor and pathetic? No, there's power there. There's a power to live differently. You know the question the Christian asks every morning? The question the Christian asks every morning is this, what are Jesus and I going to do together today? Because we're not going to do it apart. Every day is a day when Jesus and I are going to do stuff together because he lives in me and I live in him. There you go. Try and think about that every morning this week. See whether it just puts an extra spring in your step to say it's possible to live for him today. It's possible to be like him today because we are joined together. I think for me, as I look back on my Christian life, the times when I've struggled most is when this isn't a fresh reality in my life. And the times when I've lived best as a Christian is when this has been a fresh reality in my life. We're locked together. Never apart. Always together. We live in him. 
And that's why it is possible to be like Jesus. Because it's not me trying really hard. It's me living out the fact that Jesus has come to live within me. And it's also why it's essential that we begin to look more like Jesus. I mean, that's actually the point of the verse in 1 John 2, verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Can you be honest? If you're sitting here and you're saying, well, actually, frankly, Andy, I have no real interest in being anything like Jesus. That is a problem. Because it might indicate, sadly, actually, that the spirit of Jesus isn't actually living in me. If Jesus is really living in me, then I'm going to want to be like him. Now, forgive me. I do want to say this to those who've got pretty sensitive consciences. Let's be honest, often other people can see Jesus in us better than we can see it in ourselves. And there are still ways we fall short and we end up very conscious of that. And maybe actually we need to be better at encouraging people by saying, actually, I can see the way you handled that situation. It's just evidence of Jesus working in you. But in a sense, it's got to be our ambition. There must be some element of us wanting to say, I do want to be like Jesus because whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. It is possible and it is essential to be living more and more like Jesus. And I hope that encourages us actually as we go on. If I can put it like this, our union with Jesus is the basis for living like Jesus. The fact that he says, I will be in you, that is, if you like, the, the, pra the practical basis for saying, okay, it is possible to be like him. So given that, let's think about Jesus' example of love, since that's kind of what I'm supposed to be talking about. Let's move on to 1 John 3 verse 16 because here's the verse which is essentially saying we're called to be like Jesus this is how we know what love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters this is how we know what love is Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we're called to imitate we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters and if you like this is where the call comes to imitate Jesus such that God becomes visible now say all of this is possible because Jesus lives within us and actually all of this is possible because we are those who are loved Again, again in 1 John, we're told we are loved deeply. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Yeah, we don't have to love from a kind of desert of love. We love from a position of being deeply loved ourselves. Now, over the years, I've tried to illustrate this. So I, I used to illustrate this with the, you know, the kids' game, Pass the Parcel. Yeah, it's a bit like Pass the Parcel. You kind of receive love from God and from Jesus, and you pass it on to others. And then somebody pointed out, yeah, that means you don't have God's love anymore because you passed it on. <laughs> so I abandoned that illustration. So I need a better illustration. Oh, okay, it's a bit like a river. There's a constant supply of love flowing towards you that then flows out to others. And then somebody said, yeah, Andy, a river's passive. A river doesn't decide to love, it just happens. So I've abandoned, I have no illustrations for you, none of them work. But basically it's this. 
we are under a constant supply of God's love. And we consciously decide from that, I'm going to love others. I'm going to make the decision of love. I'm going to be consciously exercising good towards other people. Possible because I'm deeply secure in God's love. Possible because I have love flowing towards me. There is love that I can give, but I'm going to make the decision to give. This enables me to love. And what you see as you consider Jesus' love, that is an example for us, is that it is a love towards those who don't necessarily deserve it. I used to think I was a really loving person because, hey, I loved my friends a lot. And then came across Jesus saying, yeah, even the tax collectors do that. Claiming you love your friends is, to be honest, not a great boast. Everybody loves their friends. Actually, in some ways, love will be demonstrated most keenly when we're loving those who perhaps haven't treated us brilliantly or making decisions of love towards people we don't know that well, making loving decisions towards those who are different to us. Because that's the way in which Jesus loved us. That love which goes towards those who don't necessarily love us. And then it's costly love. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That the model of love is the cross. Now it's not to say that emotions won't be involved in that. You know, in a sense, we should have a heart of love towards people. But let's be honest, this isn't, if I can put it like this, delightfully gooey. You know, it's very different, I guess, to the kind of thing people mean when they use language like love is love. No, no, love is the cross. Love is sacrifice. It's another pastor who, who puts it like this. Very often, love is walking towards the pain. Because that's what it looked like for Jesus. Walking towards the pain and the agony of the cross. I don't know what you're like. Certainly when I was a, a church leader, a pastor, I you would be there at church Sunday morning and would sort of preach and service would come to an end. And basically as that came to an end, I would look out and I would see two possible conversations. There was somebody roughly my age, similar interests, both like sport. I could have a really easy conversation about football yesterday. There's the person who's struggling with depression. And nobody else is really talking to them. And you know if you get into that conversation, you're going to share some of their pain because that's what you do. And every Sunday I face, which conversation am I going to walk towards? Easy pain I'd love to say I always went there I love what's towards pain you know some of you are involved in perhaps helping somebody who is going through difficulty and you're just aware of the cost of that because of course as you go towards somebody in difficulty you don't end up sort of detached from that do you yeah, when somebody's weeping because of bereavement, you, 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 you pay an emotional cost of engaging in that way. And some of you are bearing that cost, and part of me just wants to say, keep going. 
Because actually that's what it is to be like Jesus, is to walk towards the pain. Might be for others, we're just aware, oh, I'm just beginning to stand back from the cost. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you it's possible because it'll always be you and Jesus together. And I want to encourage you as you bear that cost to keep pressing into God's great love for you. So actually you don't end up this desert of love, but morning by morning, here's another day when you love me deeply, Father, and you've adopted me into your family, and I'm deeply loved by you, and so Lord, please help me to go and give that love to others. Or, or to put it another way, love is basically about death. I mean, that's what it says, isn't it? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. What does love look like? Love is, looks like laying down our lives. That's what love looks like, according to the text. Because Jesus is our model. And Jesus is our pattern. And it's possible because he lives within us. And leave, we live within him. What might that look like? What might it look like to lay down our lives? I think it could look like a various things. It could look like the couple who are just getting together. Not spending all their times looking deeply into each other's eyes, but actually having a heart for other people. And including them and befriending those who are single, those who don't have a nuclear family. For some, and actually this is where John goes, where this is possible for us, it might be a financial cost. And where we see those going through more poverty than we are. Actually, we want to pay a financial cost, so we don't actually have everything we want because we're sharing with those in need. For others, actually, it's not finance that's the greatest cost we pay. It's just time. You know, I, I think for me, actually partly because life feels quite hectic at times the thing I often resent giving to people is time and if I'm going to lay down my life for people actually it involves giving time to those in need to listen and share people's pain even if they don't tell me the story very quickly and loving people like that or for others it will be deliberately including people who are different you may be people who struggle in social situations. We just want to go towards them and include them and help them. It's about asking the question. We never ask the question ultimately, how do I make this more comfortable for me? No, no, the question becomes, how do I lay down my life for others? And my guess is if the spirit of Jesus is at work in you, there's something within you saying, yeah, actually, deep down, I do want to do that. Yeah, I know it's costly and the, the sinful nature within me is pushing, saying, no, no, we really don't want to do that. But if the spirit of Jesus is working within us, I hope there's something that says, yeah, I do want to live like that. I do want to be like Jesus. Because that's how God becomes visible. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, it shows that God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. In other words, what we long for the communities that we represent is that as people engage with our groups, maybe we manage to invite them along on a Sunday and 
And they come and they say, gosh, there's something different here. Gosh, look at those different generations talking to each other. Look at those different nationalities talking to each other. Look at that person who's distressed and people are going towards them rather than avoiding them. What's going on here? Maybe God lives amongst you. We want to be like Jesus. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we want to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters.